0: You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com.
1: Well, welcome to our another show of Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. I am your host, Dr. Jeff Warber. We're going to be together for the next 30 minutes. Hopefully, I will be able to answer your questions, but you need to call me. You need to call me at one 385 8882 Here we are, and I'm live at PetLifeRadio.com on Let's Talk Pets. So, um, also, you can send me an email. So if you're really afraid to call me or embarrassed to call, and I don't know why, because people are doing it, you can reach me at Dr. Jeff, that's Dr. Jeff, at PetLifeRadio.com. So, you know, we always like to, first of all, thank our sponsors, and uh, those are... ProSense pet products and ProSense are products exclusively developed by the vet but for you and available to you the pet owner pet parent whatever you want to call yourself at the uh, mass market level that means Target that means Walmart Walgreens and you can find phenomenal products to help your pets stay healthy and also Walmart who is a big partner of ProSense, and um, you can go online and look for some money-saving coupons on ProSense pet products, and you can find them on walmart.com. So we got some emails this week, and I want to share them with you, and you know, maybe this might apply to some of you, or maybe some of you might have had these questions yourselves and are just kind of wondering what the answers might be, and this is a really good one. This is coming from Sally Ann. And she's in Austin, Texas. And she says, my question is, I have a one-year-old dog who loves to play tug-of-war. My husband plays pretty rough with her, and she seems to really enjoy it. Might this promote her to not want to give up something in her mouth when asked to? When recently, I tried to get a ball from her. She ran the ball. Is because of tug-of-war, etc. Well, interestingly, Sally Ann, that is a great point. There are many toys that are actually developed for two people to play. I say there are different types of toys that we give our dogs. There are toys that are interactive. Those are toys that when the dog sees it, they know that they're going to be playing with you. And then there's some dog toys that uh, they can actually play with by themselves that sort of keep themselves busy. As a matter of fact, one way to prevent what we call separation anxiety is when you have toys that they immediately know when they see that toy that you're going to play with them it's probably a good idea not to keep those toys around when you're gone. Because if you have a dog who's a little bit suffering from separation anxiety and they see that toy, they might start wondering where you are, they're going to be thinking about you, and that's going to start the problem. The other problem with tug-of-war toys, however, and it really depends on the dog, is before you play a tug-of-war game, you have to set the ground rules. And those ground rules are whatever words you want to use, drop it, leave it, let go, The dog has to learn to let go. So you're fine with playing those games, but as you play for the first time, second time, they have to know to let go. And of course, obviously, especially a puppy, is not going to really want to let go when it's playtime unless they're going to get something even better than your attention and some playtime in exchange which usually means lots of hugs and kisses or often, and I'm okay with it, I think in moderation, maybe a little food reward. Again, depending on the dog, dogs that are very food motivated, use that to your advantage and they can get a little bit of treat. And then what I recommend is you're training them that even after they let go, you have the toy back, they get the little treat, then go immediately and start playing with them again. But this way, when that dog picks up your expensive shoes or something that was left out by one of the kids – that was not meant to be a toy, that when you go over to them and say, drop it, let go, they will drop it. Otherwise, they're going to think that every time they put something in their mouth and you go to grab it, oh, good, it's playtime. We're going to play tug-of-war again. And that's something you really, really need to avoid. So, Sally I hope that answers your question. When you have a chance, why don't you send us a little mail back and let us know what, uh, whether this is working and uh, how otherwise well-behaved your young puppy is. And if you're having any other problems, then sure, let us know here at 877-385-8882 at Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff or send me an email at drjeff at com. So here's another email that came in. This is from Tanya, and this is from Westchester County, New York. She has a six-year-old Labrador named Corey and appears to be very healthy and happy. She would play for 30 minutes every morning before I go to work, but lately, she appears to be drinking a lot of water, a lot more than she ever did before. One of my friends told me she might have diabetes. I've never heard of a dog being diabetic. Is it possible? And if so, what should I do? Well, absolutely, Tanya. Dogs and cats, by the way, do get diabetes. Dogs seem to get type 1 diabetes, which is similar to our juvenile onset diabetes. These are diabetes that are what we call insulin-dependent diabetes. Cats, on the other hand, seem to get type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is going to be the diabetes that is often sometimes more diet-related, often non-insulin-dependent, meaning it might be, you might be able to control this with medication and diet. And this is typically the type of diabetes that people get later in life, especially people that are overweight. And the current theory when it comes to cats is that many of these cats are getting type 2 diabetes because of how and what we feed. And we'll get to that in a minute. So, yes, absolutely, a 6-year-old dog starting to drink water. One of the conditions that we are thinking about would be diabetes. Another one is Cushing's disease. That is an over-secretion of the adrenal gland. Another one could be just kidney, early kidney problems. These dogs end up, the kidneys start to lose their ability to concentrate urine, which then leaves these dogs thirsty because they're, they're urinating out more liquid than they normally do. And of course, their body, their brain says, hey, we need to replenish all the water we're losing, so let's drink more water. So I think that the key really is that we're going to have to go ahead and have your vet see your dog, and you need to test for diabetes amongst other things. They'll do a blood test, they'll do urinalysis, and they can rule in or rule out things like diabetes, things like kidney problems, and certain clues that might indicate Cushing's. A basic blood test by itself is not enough of a test to go ahead and diagnose Cushing's, but it will lead us in the direction to do one or two different tests to then rule in or rule out Cushing's disease. So those are some of the diseases we have to think about. So yes, I would say have Corey checked out, by her veterinarian, make sure everything's okay, and it'd be great if you get, got back to us and uh, let us know. Now let's talk cats for a second. Many of us, and myself included with my many uh, multiple cat household, often likes to feed our cats dry food because we've been told that A, dry food is good for the teeth, it gives them some crunch. It's not bad since often cats are like to free feed. You don't want to leave wet food in a little feeding bowl, a food bowl, all day long if they're not in the mood to eat. Whereas dry food is totally fine. You can go ahead and leave that in a bowl. The problem is is that one thing that separates, differentiates the cat from the dog is that dogs are omnivores, more like we are. They can eat everything. Well, I would say everything, but they can eat grains, they can eat different meats, they can eat soy, they can get their protein sources from sources other than meat. Cats, on the other hand, are obligate carnivores. Cats need meat. Well, when we go ahead and feed many of our cats dry kibble, we are feeding them often more carbohydrates than their bodies need, and that does affect the pancreas and the pancreatic secretions, which then can ultimately, in time, predispose these cats to type 2 diabetes. So some recommendations that we have now made, and let's talk about the whole theory, which I I think is kind of funny, about feeding dry food. This is cats and dogs. Now, if any of you have had cats that have hairballs and vomit hairballs, you might see, along with the hairball, you might see a cylindrical-shaped clump of food. And often dry food. And if you look carefully at the food, and usually most cat foods are little pellets or little you know, small shaped uh, pellets of sort, whether they're round or oblong or whatever. You're going to actually see unchewed pellets in the vomitus the same way it went down. Which tells you what? Despite the fact that we're feeding our cats dry food because we hope they're going to chew and it's going to help their teeth. What it boils down to is they don't chew it anyway. They swallow it whole. So don't kid yourselves in thinking that you need to feed dry food because you want these cats to have good teeth. Another thing that I find very interesting, and this relates to cats and dogs, is that as we know, if we watched dogs eat or cats, and even knowing from a developmental standpoint what the different teeth are for, we clearly know that the little teeth on top, Usually six on the upper lower between the fangs. Those are the fangs of the canines. Even in cats, we call them canines. We have six incisors top and bottom. Incisors, by the name implies, are for cutting. Now, when you really think about it, in today's domesticated pet, how many of our pets need to cut for their food? Not many. Let's go to the canines. Those are the four fangs. Those, developmentally, in nature, are for tearing. They would actually dig into a carcass or this coat, the skin of an animal or a hide, and literally rip it. Or for big pieces of meat, hunks of meat, they would rip. That's what the canines are for. Again, when you think about how we feed and treat our pets today, we don't really have our animals tearing for their food. Now let's go to the back teeth. These are the premolars and the molars, and these are the chewing teeth. These are the teeth that they're actually using to chew their food, to break down the big food pellets, the the crunchies, the bones, the gnawing, etc. Well, so now, logic would have it that if, in fact, our dogs and cats are using their premolars and molars to crunch the dry food that we're giving them, to crunch the bones that we're giving them, the toys that they're gnawing on, etc., the nylon bones, you name it. Wouldn't you expect these teeth to be the cleanest teeth in the mouth? Of course you would, but guess what? When we look at an animal's set of teeth to determine whether or not they are developing tartar, which teeth do you think have the most tartar? It's the premolars and the molars. So, so when you think about it, after all this work that we're doing to try to make sure our pet's teeth are healthy, it turns out that we're still going to have to have professional cleaning. So don't knock yourselves out. Feed your cats a little bit more canned food, and let's see if we can do a better job with maintaining or stopping the possibility of type 2 diabetes. So we have a caller on the line. Caller, you are here with Dr. Jeff. Who's this?
2: This is Arden Moore. How are you, Dr. Jeff? Oh, hello,
1: Arden Moore. How are you?
2: I popped in a little late. Sorry. Uh, Oh, no problem. I love your show, and I love to do whatever I can to support you. So I have a question for you. Sure. Okay. I'm walking my two dogs. I have a 60-pound dog and a 12-pound dog, and I'm wearing a waist leash belt, and I'm walking my friend's little 12-pound poodle, mix. and one of my not-so-good neighbors has her door wide open, and bounding our way is a 50-pound, 60-pound lab, Nick, and <laughs> I was able to use a little, like, hey, I mean, business, and get the dog right. away, but it's chilling, that people, what do we do with people that, A, leave their doors open, or, B, think that their dog is so special that they don't need to be on a leash when all the other dogs are on a leash? It seems to me that the dogs, my dogs, have a sign on them that says, bite me, because they're on leashes. So I averted a very <laughs> scary situation, but I didn't know if you had some advice for us. When we're walking, we just want to walk our dogs. and right.
1: Well, first of all, a couple of things, and this, this is a great point, and I just actually had this legally, just so people know, and I guess it might differ in different municipalities, but right. heaven, like you said, you avoided a potentially dangerous situation, but if this dog had in any way, shape, hurt one of your dogs, by law, they would be responsible for everything, and people have to realize that a dog off-leash is a danger, It's dangerous for them as well, and here's the – you were on, obviously, on a sidewalk in front of this house, all right?
2: Right. I'm on a sidewalk. I have six-foot leads on my pets, and I'm enjoying the day.
1: (laughs) Right. Let's say this poor Labrador, if you were on the other side of the street, do you think that dog would have hesitated for a moment to run into the street to do the same thing? Right. So it's so dangerous, and people that have kids know they put up baby gates. If you have a swimming pool, you put a gate around the pool. Well, it's no different when you have pets, and it's a really good point that people have to realize not only are they legally responsible, but they're morally responsible, not only to the other pets out there, but to their own pets. Because I guarantee that if that dog ran out and got hit by a car, this owner would be devastated. And we know if this was a Labrador, and I don't—I wasn't there to see—and you know, because you're really good with dogs, was this dog running out to play, or was this dog running out to kill? If it yeah. was a, you know, Labradors, you know, oftentimes see other dogs, and say, oh my God, a friend, it's a friend, let's go play, let's go yeah, play. he—he
2: he, he looked like he was going to be uh, a typical Marley moment, you know. Right. Hey, 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 And That's I'm right. looking at the hackles of my Husky Golden Retriever popping up, and right? We're getting in that tight mode, like crap, I'm on right. a leash and it goofy. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, and I had the two little dogs and it's normally a quiet neighborhood. But I also had this thing, a, a pet corrector with me, which just does a burst of air.
0: Oh, that's and it, great. It,
2: and I don't know why I thought I don't normally walk three dogs, but I thought, well, I'm going to feel like a gunslinger and put it on my little waist leash. And I sprayed it and the dog it was enough to disrupt the dog going, "Huh? What's going on?" And right. I'm like, "Get home right now." I said, "Get home."
1: Uh-huh. That's great. And by the way, your tone is fantastic. And people have to learn how to do that that a lot of dogs. And you can avoid situations like that by really having that deep growl voice cuz dogs understand that. They know that right. low tone cuz another dog might use that on them as well. And I think it's a great thing. Also, just as a caution, for those of you that use retractable leashes, be really careful because here's a perfect situation where if you're not quick on that draw and you know how to lock that thing really quick, that dog, your dog is going to take off and, you know, that leash can extend beyond a distance that you can do what Arden just did and stop an oncoming dog.
2: I'm so glad you're saying that. I think retractable leashes need to be in the trash because (laughs) you're no longer walking the dog. Right. The dog's right. walking you. There's no companionship between you and your dog. on Right. They get, they get far ahead, and, and it can be very, going. very
1: dangerous. Um, yeah. Arden, if you can hang with us for a second, I want to take a quick commercial break, and I have a question for you. Something we talked about this morning you missed, and I'd love to get your take on it. So uh, thanks. anyway, thanks for joining us on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. We have Arden Moore hanging on. We are going to break for a quick commercial. We'll be right back.
0: We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Dog Shelter Blues, the new novel by Mark Conkling. This hard-hitting story lights up the world of animal rescue with engaging characters and their pets, struggling with their own internal demons as they attempt to rescue innocent creatures that sometimes bring a mysterious transforming power to broken lives. Read the first chapter of Dog Shelter Blues free at dogshelterblues.com. Then come along a breathtaking journey that ends with an astonishing triumph of good over evil. Order your copy of Dog Shelter Blues today. Available at amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com.
1: Are you crazy about cats? If so, check out The World is Your Litter Box, Deluxe Edition. This clever how-to manual for cats, written by a cat named Quasi, contains more laughs than should be allowable in one book and is poignantly underscored by the combative yet loving relationship between Quasi and his human. The World is Your Litter Box, Deluxe Edition, is guaranteed to have you laughing your tail off. So treat yourself to a copy today. Available from Amazon.
0: Coast to coast and around the world, it's all behave with Arden and More. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from Wagging Tongues and Tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All Behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On PetLife Radio. Pet Radio. PetLife Radio. PetLifeRadio.com.
1: Well, welcome back to everybody. You're here with Dr. Jeff Werber on Ask the Vet with Dr. Jeff. And we have a very special guest, one of my favorite, Arden Moore, who you I'm sure know very well from Pet Life Radio, who joined us today. We just talked about a a situation where Arden was out walking dogs with a waist leash and a dog ran out of the house. Another dog, a large Labrador-type dog. Off leash, and uh, it could have been disastrous. Fortunately, it wasn't. And uh, while we have Arden on the phone, Arden, we had an email we talked about earlier today about playing tug of war with a, an impressionable puppy. And you know, okay. dogs love tug of war. So we were talking about the pros and cons and giving some ideas. And why don't you share with us, um, you know, some of your thoughts about this? You know, when you're dealing with something that the dogs love to do, but then again, we need to make sure that they learn that. You know, there is an end to this game, and might they pick up something we don't want them to play with, like your very expensive Louboutin shoes that they have to learn well, what to drop I have a whole full
2: of those. I have yeah, a class full of those. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I think uh, there is kind of a bad rap. People, if they just think about it, they think, "Oh, tug of war, it's a bad deal." But actually, you're tuning into what is a game for dogs. They're used right. to doing that and they have fun, but they just have to have certain tug-of-war rules that make so that you control the situation. I have a 60-pound golden retriever husky who plays tug-of-war with me. I'm five foot one and a half, <laughs> and I win the game, which is fine. And right. I, I start the game, I end the game, I intersperse little commands like, drop it, leave it, wait, okay, go. And so... I'm controlling the rules, the pace, and, and what you're doing is you're still giving the dog the ability to have that fun, but you're sneaking in good doggy manners like the leave it command, the right. drop it. And when you do that, she plops right down, Dr. Jeff. It's hilarious. Kaboom! She's down. like, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Let's do it again. And, and so I'm conditioning her that a lot of fun happens, but you're calling the shots, and then you always end the game you say, uh, game over, and you do something with your hands, something consistent, and then you you distract them with uh, a walk or give them a treat or something. So they're getting it. Okay, we play this for a while. You know, my pet parent will tell me when it's over, but man, was that fun.
1: Right. You know, and that's a good point. First of all, thank you so much because I think you clearly mirrored my response today, and that is I do love it. My dogs love it. They play with each other. So yeah. why not you know, play with us? But again, we have to teach the ground rules, and that's an important thing to start. And I'm also glad you said, because you know, I know a lot of trainers that have differences of opinion when it comes to, and I'm going to clearly say this, in very in-moderation food rewards right. early in the game. Because I think dogs are, let's face it, many of them are food motivated. And when you want them to get them to do something, there has to be a good reward. And, you know, we would all love to think that that pat on the head is enough. But I think we have to teach them that the pat on the head sometimes does and sometimes doesn't come with a food little reward, but they will do it all the time waiting. And it's very interesting. Right. There was a study, and this is a psychology study done on rats. Now, I'm not saying that rats are just like dogs, clearly, but, <laughs> but here was a study rats would hit a lever. And every time they hit a particular lever, either food was given every time, food was given and then stopped, never again, just given a little bit at the beginning, or randomly throughout the test, given. Sometimes it was every every tap of the lever. Sometimes they'd go five without, but the sixth one would have it. Then the third one would have it. Then the tenth one would have it. Now, which group, interestingly, consistently hit that lever the most? It was the random one. When it comes every time, they get bored. They get stuffed. They don't want to eat anymore. They stop playing. If well, it comes in kind of like
2: Vegas, I mean, if you exactly. put exactly the slot and every time you got a quarterback, all the casinos would shut down in Vegas.
1: Right. Then you have the ones that start at the beginning for a few times and then never again. Well, after the 30th or 40th, they say, "Ha, huh, to heck with this game. I'm not getting any treats here." So they leave. But right. the ones where it's coming sporadically and you never can predict when it is, they keep coming and coming. And you know, they <laughs> get, finally, after the fifth one, they get that reward. They go, oh, this is great. Then they get one, oh, my God, two later. Like, like, like Art just said, that's the second you know, second quarter right after you won a few. You're going to do it again. Then you oh, my God, you go 10 without a win. And then the 11th one, you win. And that's what keeps them coming. So I am a fan as long as you are – and one thing that dogs don't recognize – Dogs don't recognize volume, in the sense. What I mean is that when they are being food reward treated, okay, whether you give them an eighth of a piece of a little hot dog, I mean a little teeny hot dog, you know, segment, or the whole segment, they're going to be equally as excited. What's the difference? The difference is if you give them a whole piece every time, they're going to finally get bored because they're going to get stuffed. Now, I am a Hagen freak. Now if I if I can't I,
2: believe that. You're in such good shape. Well, <laughs> if, I, if I if I
1: had a pint every time I went to the freezer, I'd probably after the seventh pint, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> after, after the second pint I'd be stuffed to the brim. But when I just go and have just a spoonful, oh my god, do I want another spoonful? So I think it's the same thing. So yes, dogs um, I'm okay with treats, but in moderation. Do you agree?
2: Yeah, I'm one bite swallow rule and sometimes praise and sometimes two bite swallows because they don't know, am I getting one or two? But if they keep chewing and chewing and chewing, then they're not focused on what you are working with right. them on. And, and they can have more waddle and wiggle and, you know, so then you've got to deal with weight problems. So we have a whole ritual here at the uh, Furry Fab Four household here in uh-huh. our side, and they get healthy treats and we earn them. And sometimes they get calorie free hugs.
1: Oh, and I and always, always, always that association between treat and hug is so important. Oh, yeah. uh, operant conditioning, they, they should start making that association. And pretty soon, believe it or not, everybody out there, that hug is going to have that same effect of the treat. And they know because it's always going to bring them back mentally to the food reward. But now they're getting the hugs and kisses and you get to the point where, you know, that's the whole concept behind clicker training. I don't know, Arden, if you're a fan or not a fan. but oh, yeah. You know, the The whole concept of clicker training is that when you always associate, pretty soon that click is going to be the, as good as the treat, and they're going to respond, and they love it. And every now and again, you still throw in that treat, and they, it just keeps them going. and uh, And that's what it's all about. You know, dogs are creatures of habit. So, anyway, Arden, thank you so much for coming on. You're more than welcome anytime. Uh, you oh, got a question for me. I love what you, you do, wanna- and
2: I've got to tell your listeners, I have seen the man hug his clients in action. He loves his four-legged clients. This guy not only knows veterinary medicine, but he loves, loves, loves dogs and cats. I've seen them in action.
1: And thank you so much, and I do, and as I often say with my 11 pets at home, I wish they made <laughs> Beds bigger than a California king because I can get more. But uh, <laughs> right, right now you see it's like it's pretty crowded. I'm I'm amazed. I don't have scoliosis with a weird position because I'm the last one to get into that bed, and I don't want to. Heavens forbid I disturb their sleep. So I am trying to contort my body into some way where I can get in there without uh, without disturbing them. So anyway, so once again we're here with Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and we're just uh, saying hi and talking a little bit to Arden Moore. If you want to give us a call, you get both of us. Two for the price of one at 877-385-8882. Or um, I'm online right here, so you can always catch me at drjeff at petliferadio.com. And I want to warn everybody, it is getting hot. I'm I am in Southern California in Los Angeles, and we are expecting 90 degrees by Saturday. In the deserts, it's over a hundred. I was in Palm Desert a couple of weeks ago. And now's the time until I'm blue in the face. We're going to talk about safety. Outside, when it's getting hot like this, and I understand I just talked to to a friend of mine in Chicago, and it's starting to get humid. New York is starting to get humid. We're starting to see that heat. June is, is what? Another two days. Come Saturday is June 1st. So be really careful. Never leave your dogs in a parked car. If your dogs have to be outside, make sure they have ample supply of water and shade. Shade is really important. If there is no place to run for cover, that hot sun beating down on them can cause heat stroke. So it's very important that you keep that in mind. Uh, when you exercise, you do not want to exercise in the heat of the day. Exercise early in the morning or later in the evening. Again, keep in mind that pavement retains its heat longer than ambient temperature. So if you're going to take that walk at 7, 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. when the sun's pretty much down, be, still be careful because that pavement can be pretty hot and take take plenty of breaks and give some water you know it's not a race out there the, the goal is to bond with your pets and to have fun and to enjoy and i guarantee the walking the running all that you're going to do with your dog is good for you too. bring in that tennis ball bring that frisbee go to the park and have a blast we definitely love it but you know it's important to respect the summer heat the summer sun and of course never never leave your dogs in a parked car even with the windows cracked even in the shade because you would be amazed at how fast a car can get hot. So uh, I hope that you, you take this advice, enjoy it, because this is the best time of year for us. We love getting our dogs out there and having some fun. So anyway, uh, thanks for joining me here. Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on PetLifeRadio.com. Just another one of the Let's Talk Pets shows. We are a live show. We want to hear from you. Um, we uh, I want to hear from more than just our dogs. It's great to count on art. I know you're out there. I know you have questions, and I know that we can help you. And uh, if you have any, even if it's a non dog or cat, questions, let me know, ask me, send me an email to drjeff at petliferadio.com. We will read your questions on the show and give you answers as well. So until next week, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, here on petliferadio.com. I'm Dr. Jeff Warber with Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff.
0: Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.